there. Uh, don't worry, this is, as advertised, a Shane Meyer Holt week, but it is just me, Rod, as the editor of the episode, jumping in to let you know that this week is a week of reflective stations. So what you are going to listen to is Shane's introduction to the reflective stations. If you want to know more about what the stations actually involved, the, the poems and the reflections, just let us know, Tamsin, Shane or I, and we can probably send you through some photos and some materials. But for now, you can enjoy Shane's excellent intro. Love and peace to you all. Hi, my name is Shane. My pronouns are he, him. Um, this is week three of a little series, and I'm going to try and be disciplined and not um, do a massive big um, synopsis of the previous two weeks. So if you're just really confused, that's fine. If you think we're a big bunch of commies, you're probably right, but that's fine too. <laughs> that's fine too. That's all right. Um, there shouldn't be another red scare for another little while yet, so I think, we, think we're okay. Um, so we're in a series on um, another story and looking at Jesus. The way of Jesus is a wisdom tradition um, rather than just a set of beliefs, um, looking at engaging the way of Jesus as... Um, a uh, path of wisdom to follow in our lives uh, with sets of practices and rituals that we might draw on to tell us another story about the world because not all stories about the world are actually that great in my opinion. Um, so this is an alternative to draw on. And we talked last week about the idea um, of a thinker who I'm quite engaged with because Bruce Rogers Vaughan who thinks that capitalism has become the social imaginary of our age. And that's not to say that capitalism is all bad. There's actually, I've actually got quite a few things about capitalism that I quite like, um, but that's for another sermon, um, <laughs> slash economics lecture. Um, but that's not today. Um, his, his big problem with it effectively is it's become um, something that was there to kind of describe how markets might work has begun to describe how humans might work, and that doesn't always make for great things. Um, so he kind of says that we intuitively define ourselves by the logic of capitalism. It becomes the default way we measure the value of our lives, our time, and each other. Um, and in a nutshell, capitalism is built on an, an idea of scarcity, which just basically says there's just not enough. There's not enough stuff. There's not enough time. There's not enough anything. Um, and the kind of primary logics are productivity, efficiency, independence, and success. So what has happened in the way that we see ourselves is that um, the kind of core values of our lives, and these aren't obviously the only values of their lives because they're always contested, but under capitalism, the core values of our lives are the kind of default setting of the culture that we live in comes to, pri um, comes to prioritize productivity, efficiency, independence, and success um, at the expense of other stuff. And when you invert that list, you begin to understand what we're taught to fear and despise. We're taught to fear unproductive activity and people, dependency and being a burden, losers, economic and otherwise, <laughs> and being tied down or having our freedom limited, except in the name of productivity. Um, so that pretty much sums up the last two weeks. That's good. I'm glad you've got hold of that. We actually have a, a, a scripture today, which is good, just to show you that we're still putting Jesus into this. That was a little teaser just there. Here we go. 
This is a verse that I um, used to love and then hated and then have slowly fallen back in love with again. Um, it's, uh, it's a great invitation and a terrible weapon, <laughs> this verse. Matthew 6, verse 25 to 26. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet God feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now, we're not going to get into a huge discussion back and forth about this just because I want to make as much space for our kind of reflective stations as possible. But my little commentary on this is that uh, this is a terrible verse to direct at a person and a really good verse to direct at a society. Um, Directing this at a, at a person who is vulnerable, um, a person who can't make ends meet, a person who has access to stuff restricted by others, um, saying, don't worry about it. Why are you worrying about whether you're going to eat or not? Um, is actually really cruel and mean. But I think this is actually a really beautiful invitation for a society, a nation, a culture to live in um, trust instead of fear. Um, to help explain this, um, it's going to ask the question of what happens when everyone closes their hands. What happens when a society lives in fear and, in co and, and has competition as its primary lens of relating to each other, which is kind of what capitalism invites us into, that everyone, we are autonomous individuals in competition with each other. Um, so I've got this little tweet here from Natalie Robin Justice Gravel. Um, if a monkey hoarded more bananas than it could eat while most of the other monkeys starved, scientists would study that monkey to figure out what the heck was wrong with it. When humans do it, we put them on the cover of Forbes. Um, so, I guess my argument is, is that um, when we think about humanity through the lens of competition and scarcity, it's an invitation into fear. Into fear that, other, that we won't have enough, into fear that others will take what we have, into fear that someone will best us, into fear that we'll fall behind. And it's a legitimate fear under the system. But if as an invitation, I'm so sorry for placing such temptations in front of you, that's fine. Scarcity is not enough. Um, If our lives are defined by fear that we will get left behind or that's not enough and everyone lives on that premise, then we end up living with closed hands. And that is when we hoard and hoard and hoard in fear of someone taking what we have. If we live as a society with open, hand, with open hands, trusting that there is enough if we distribute, then we live life really differently. Um, abundance and scarcity are both true, but we choose to live from one. And I think that we live with a level of background anxiety about our place in the world that shapes all kinds of stuff. That shapes our relationship to community, to rest, to play, to care, to vulnerability, and a bunch of other things as well. Um, he can just have some. We don't believe in the curse that happens if you eat communion early here. So, um, A few examples that we've talked about over the last few weeks that I'll kind of highlight here before we get into reflective stations is that when things are scarce, it changes our relationship to them. So when time is scarce, time becomes a source of anxiety. 
We talk about spending time and wasting time. Under capitalism, time is units of potential production. And so every hour is a time where we could actually be doing something to produce or to advance our place. Um, so because of that, we ask questions like, am I being efficient with my time? Am I using it productively? Could I be doing more with my time? Can I fit more into my time? If not more work, then more activities, more experiences, and more relationships. Um, capitalism doesn't have a good handbrake, so there's no good time to stop asking those questions. We just need to keep on putting in more and more and more, um, which leads us to things like efficient rest and efficient play. Um, to be a person whose time is in demand means that your time is scarce, which means that you're valuable. So busyness becomes a badge of honor in the system. To be busy is to be important, which means that busyness itself becomes an end in itself. We seek to be busy so that people know that we're important. Um, but that affects how we see rest and how we see play and how we manage boundaries, which affects how we see our bodies. Under capitalism, our bodies are primarily production machines. <laughs> We're encouraged to pay them attention only when they threaten to reduce our productivity. Otherwise, they'll be pushed harder and harder to continue to get us ahead. A sick body, a disabled body, a tired body is a body that has failed us. In this lens, bodies are not our friends. They are not us. They are not a gift. They are a resource to be exploited. And this affects how we see vulnerability. <laughs> It is one thing for our body to fail us, it's another thing entirely for it to burden somebody else. We've agreed that freedom is our right, and that means that individuals shouldn't hold each other back and shouldn't encroach on each other's space and other people's productivity. So when we're vulnerable, not only are we alone with our hardship, because we're individuals, but we're also at risk of breaking our social contract and becoming a burden on somebody, which is something that we don't want to do, <laughs> which changes how we see community. Communities, are ever-changing fluid networks of minimum obligation. Relationships are assets and liabilities. In a marketplace of relationships, you have asset relationships in your life and liability relationships in your life. And the key is to gain asset, relational assets, and if something becomes too burdensome, jettison it, <laughs> because it's now a relational liability. Um, and I'm not condoning leaving abusive relationships or not setting boundaries, but I'm wondering if the fear of being abandoned when we're in need or being overwhelmed by other, need, other people's needs isn't actually helping us on the whole. To be, need is a risk. to be in need is to be a risk. In the marketplace of relationships, you risk becoming a liability if you let yourself be vulnerable and let people know that you have needs because suddenly you might not be an asset, you might be a liability, so we hold it in and seek just paid professional therapy, which I'm not against paid professional therapy, I just don't think it can meet every communal need in our life. And so all of this to say, when we live in fear, when we live in fear of not achieving, of not producing, of not having enough, of not doing enough with our life, it changes our relationship to a whole heap of things which are deemed unimportant, like rest and play and joy and beauty and care and a whole heap of the other things that actually keep us going in the world. It changes our relationship to failure. It changes our relationship to success. It changes our relationship to each other. And so what I want to do this morning is um, I've set up a bunch of stations around the room and they've got, these are kind of just invitations into a conversation. Hello. Um, there's a bunch of poems on them, and I just kind of want to make clear that 
All of this stuff hits different people differently, and that's okay. Poems aren't universal truths, equally applied to everybody. Um, neither, neither are sermons, by the way. Um, but what I want to ask is when you approach this, what happens in your body and how do you feel about it? And to actually listen to that feeling. There's some response um, opportunities. So there's some bits where there's some leading questions where there's like a little dot, 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 and you can fill in the blank and we can kind of accumulate our filled in blanks. There's a section for practices and there's a couple of suggested practices, but I'd love to hear your own practices as well. So if you have a practice which fits into um, the area that the table's talking about, write it down. If not, get creative, just come up with some ideas. Um, and there's also a chance to make badges and I thought about making badges um, because the longer I sit with the stuff, the more I think about how we make these things known to each other. So these are badges that you don't have to wear to work. <laughs> you can, um, but you might just want to have it at home or you might just want to wear it here or you might just want to um, tuck it in your wallet or something to remind you of something. It came, part of this idea came out of a conversation with um, someone here last week after last week's talk where we're just talking about being a burden and me just saying, you know you're a burden. <laughs> and that's okay, and I am too. And just thinking about wearing a badge saying I'm a burden, you are too, like, because I think there's, all, like, there's these scripts which sit in our head that we just need to change our relationship to, and it's really hard to do so because the kind of default setting of culture, um, and as I said last week, I don't wanna make this a, the world out there is a big bad place and the church has got all the answers, because the church is complicit in all of this stuff. Most of our churches are just endless growth neoliberalism machines. <laughs> so, like, it's not like, I'm not saying, like, we, we aren't a part of this either. Um, but I want to invite us into a world of abundance and not just fear and see what that might do in us. So that's enough explaining stations. I'll let them explain yourself. So we've got, like, I don't know, like 20, 20 minutes or so, then I've got another little activity. But um, feel free to... Um, write these post-it notes. If you'd like to write in private and then just kind of like slip something in there so no one knows who wrote it, um, that's totally fine too. Or you can just write on the, um, on the brown paper and stuff. So there's about six stations around. Again, don't be anxious. You don't have to get to all of them. It's okay. Um, I can photograph them and put them up later if you want to reflect at home. You're not missing out. Um, yeah. So yeah, go for gold. <laughs>